Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Thank you, Lars. Oh, I'm a bit nervous. My kids would agree that I do preach a lot, and I preach at them, so... um yeah, but this is my first time doing this on stage, so it is a joy and an honour. Um, if you don't know me, I have three beautiful children, one of whom is right there, and um, I attend this service with my husband, Dan. Um, I am a wife, oh, hang on, let me put this on. I'm a wife, mother, sister, auntie, daughter, and very importantly, a follower of Jesus, and I have been walking with him or sometimes limping with him since I was five and three quarters when my mum shared the gospel with me. And this is why it's so important to share our faith. Um, As Lars said, I lead pastoral care across the services and I have a deep passion to share God's love with people who don't yet know him and to see everyone find emotional and physical freedom through him. Um, You may know already we are on a series on living life to the full. Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, which is an amazing verse, isn't it? Amazing. And over the past few weeks, we have been exploring this through the lens of what it looks like to be loved by him, to learn from him and to live like him. And today we're looking at the third part of that series, so what it looks like to live like him. And we are focusing on the topic of healthy rhythms. So when we talk about rhythms, we're talking about regular habits and routines that we're centering our lives around. It's about how we're spending our time and how we are ensuring we're living the lives that we want to live. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but... um, On more than one occasion, I've been driving somewhere and I get to my end destination and I have no idea how I got there. (laughs) I promise I'm a good driver, but that does happen. And that can be the case with our rhythm sometimes. We can just be doing life and we're not necessarily thinking consciously about how we're living. So today is an opportunity to do that. And there are many wonderful things about the society we live in, but let's be real, there are some tough things too. And some of the rhythms that we live in as a society aren't always helpful for us. Just to paint a picture of this, a mental health foundation in 2018 performed a study where 74% of respondents said in the past year they have felt so stressed that they have felt overwhelmed to the point of not being able to cope. Maybe you have felt like this. I know I have. Jesus teaches us that we're loved by God for who we are, not what we do. Yet, even knowing this, me, yet even knowing this, we can feel anxious or we, we feel like we're on this hamster wheel of trying to keep up and try, trying to be good enough for a standard that we can never quite reach. Or we can be in a room full of people and feel desperately lonely, like no one really knows or gets us. The good news is that we don't have to be slaves to stress, loneliness or anxiety. Jesus is our role model. Jesus, like many of us, um, was in his 30s when his ministry started. Like 
many of us, Jesus had a really full workload, but he wasn't anxious. He was a leader of others, like many of us, but he wasn't stressed. He had family commitments, but he ordered his life in a way that he meant he accomplished his mission and glorified God in what he did. Jesus didn't burn out, yet we're in a society full of burnout, anxiety, stress, exhaustion. And like I say, there are lots of good things, but the reality is our ways of living aren't always helping us. So over the next 20 minutes, I want to paint a picture of how we can order our lives in a healthy way, taking inspiration from Jesus, of course. So today's passage is Luke 6, 43 to 49. It's going to come up behind me, and this is what it says. A tree and its fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The wise and foolish builders. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. This story comes from the Gospel of Luke. Luke was well-educated and a doctor, and not only wrote this book, but the book of Acts. The Gospel of Luke presents the works and teachings of Jesus that are especially important for understanding the way of salvation. The book covers everything from the birth of Christ to his ascension and is written in an orderly yet sensitive way, appealing to both Jews and Gentiles. Jesus here is teaching the people that his way of living is an entire reversal of the value systems they're living by. An entire reversal. Earlier on in chapter 6, he teaches his disciples, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom. He's teaching them radical generosity, his love for the poor and his heart for peacemaking and forgiveness. This was hard for the religious leaders to hear, and in its time, his message was completely countercultural. And in the passage we read, he's saying there's an inherent connection between our inner life and outer life, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So what is going on in our hearts and minds deeply impacts how we talk and behave. And then we have the story that lots of us know well. I remember singing about it in primary school. I find sometimes when you hear the same story over and over again, it can lose its impact or we can assume our foundations are solid and then a crisis comes and we feel those foundations slipping beneath us. And so I want to share a bit of my story when the floods came for me, when I thought I had strong foundations. It's deeply relevant to the topic we're, preaching, we're speaking about today and actually when I heard I was preaching on this topic, I had to laugh because... It's one where I walked through this um, very closely. 
So when I was 30, I'd recently had my second child, a beautiful boy called Jacob, and I thought I was doing an excellent job of trying to be the perfect mum, perfect wife, friend, sister, but deep down I was exhausted. I like the um, picture, I don't know if you've heard or seen it before, of a graceful duck on the water and underneath its legs are going like that. And I really felt like I was doing that. From that outside, people were like, oh yeah, that's just Smiley Lou, she's always happy. But down inside, I was really struggling. And without knowing it, I entered a very dark place. I didn't see the point in having hobbies because I thought they were pointless. I started to feel hopeless and trapped. It was like a dark cloud had rested on top of me and I couldn't see a way out. I dragged myself to the doctor who queried whether I was depressed. I could not believe it, honestly. I'd never had any mental health problems before. I was an achiever. I thought I had everything that I wanted. It was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Even thinking about it now, I feel a bit choked up. But through therapy, medication, prayer, and lots of support, I recovered and I realized that the perfect life that I was living was actually deeply unhealthy in the way that I was um, living out some of the rhythms. I did the STEPS course, and um, for those of you who don't know STEPS, Step 5 is an opportunity to confess and receive spirit-empowered prayer. The facilitator prayed for me, and all I can say was that it was an absolutely transformative experience. As I said, I've been walking with Jesus since I was five, and it was the first time I'd ever really, really understood deep in my heart that Jesus loves me for who I am and not what I do. I felt released from the pressure of trying to achieve I was released from the critical narrative in my head that, I, that said I didn't deserve rest. And since then, I've been trying to work out healthier rhythms. I'm still on a journey. I still get it wrong very regularly. But I've witnessed the power of God bringing freedom to my, for my need to achieve, be busy, and perform. It was deeply life-changing. Your story will undoubtedly be different, and I don't know the pressures that you have on your, t- on your time and your life, but what I do know is that everybody has pressure. And my question today is at what personal cost, and at what cost to the church and the community that we're part of? Jesus says in the passage that anyone who hears his words and puts them into practice will build strong foundations. And the key here is putting it into practice. So often we know what we should do, but it's actually doing it that can be the challenge. So in order to help me, I use a tool that you will see on your chairs. And we're going to do a little exercise on this a bit later. I look at how I'm doing in each of these areas, physical life, spiritual life, emotional life, and relational life. And these, if you like, are four pillars of well-being that I am building my life on, and my relationship with God underpins them all. But before we look at them, I just want to show a practical illustration of what I mean by building life on strong foundations. So we're going to watch a video, and then I will be back. There's a well-known story about a university professor that wanted to make a point about the importance of prioritizing how we spend our time. 
The professor stood in front of his class with a display of items. He took a large, empty jar and filled it with rocks, approximately two inches in diameter. He then asked the class if the jar was full, and they agreed, yes, the jar was full. The professor then took a box of pebbles and added them to the jar and gave it a little shake to move the pebbles into the open areas around the rocks. The professor asked the class again if the jar was full. They agreed, yes, it is full this time. The professor then took a box of sand and added it to the jar, filling the spaces between the rocks and the pebbles. He asked again, now, is the jar full? They laughed and agreed, yes, it's full. This jar represents your life. The big rocks signify the really important things in your life, such as health, family, and friends. The pebbles are the other things that matter in your life, such as work or school. And the sand signifies the remaining small stuff, such as material possessions. Now, if you were to reverse the order of filling the jar and add the sand first, there would not be enough room for the rocks and the pebbles. The same principle applies to your life. If you spend too much time on the small stuff, you won't have enough space or time to focus on the things that are truly important, the big rocks. So, prioritize the big rocks first. Practice self-care, spend quality time with the people you love, and the rest is just pebbles and sand. They will always find some space. So for all you visual learners, I hope that is a, um, a nice visual way to um, demonstrate the point I'm trying to make. It just, it showed me when I watched that video how easily we can get it the wrong way around and we fill our lives with the sand first and then life happens and then we realise actually our lives aren't reflecting the values that we hold so close to us. And um, I have personal experience of this as well. <laughs> it's so easy to think, okay, when I'm less busy at work, I'm going to prioritize this. Or when my kids are older, I'm going to start investing in my marriage or my friendships. And John Tyson said the other day, I found it really helpful. The sad fact is we can lose our souls in a season. We can lose relationships or, or our marriage. It only takes one season of neglect. So I'm just going to go through the four pillars um, that are on your chairs, and I'm going to just go through them briefly. So physical, looking after ourselves is the best gift we can give ourselves and to the people we love. To what extent are our physical needs being met? Exercise, rest, eating habits. To what extent am I engaging in Sabbath? Physical doesn't necessarily mean complete physical rest. It can be doing what's good for our bodies. I know when I started exercising after I had Jacob, it transformed my, um, well, how I felt in myself, how, about, how I felt about myself. And just the endorphins from doing exercise was great. I actually really like it now. I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> Spiritual. In each of the Gospels, Jesus was reported to have gone to solitary places to pray. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. If Jesus needed to do it often, then so do we. 
Nothing feeds our souls like spending time with Jesus. Absolutely nothing. Jeremiah 17 verse 7 says, But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. How do we get confidence in him? By spending time with him and drawing strength from him. When we come to him, we find our identity and we allow him to nourish our souls. I don't know about you, but I've tried nourishing my soul in other ways and it just doesn't work. Emotional. How are you really? What baggage are you carrying that you long to be free of? The fact is there's an emotional toll of life that we need to keep in check. Our emotions and our bodies are telling us just are telling us a story, and we need to listen to that. Can I ask, what is the story your emotions and body are telling you right now? Are you tired? Hopeful? Anxious? Joyful? I'm just going to leave 20 seconds now for us to do a check-in and just think about how you're feeling right now. I don't know if that's 20, but it felt like 20. This is an example of the fact that this often requires silence. We tend to block out emotions through busyness. But what I'm learning, and what I've learned the very hard way, is that when we allow emotions to surface, we can be free of some of the power it holds over us. In the Gospels, we see the range of emotions that Jesus experienced. Joy, grief, anger, and he expressed these. He didn't hold them in. John 11.35, Jesus wept. Mark 3.5, he looked around them in anger and deeply distressed to their stubborn hearts. Jesus expressed emotion and often in community. And can I suggest that is a really healthy thing to do? And if you don't have a context where you can do that, I would highly recommend the STEPS course. It is a confidential and safe place to do that. And we have a course starting in January. I'm going to be doing it and I would love you to do it with me. Okay, and finally, relational. As a church, we've been focusing a lot on community this term because we know it is deeply biblical and healthy way to live our lives. As a society, we have become increasingly independent. We're, to, we're told to do what's right for us. And this has been great in some ways. It's meant that we've um, had greater freedom to exercise self-care, choose the right career, and for people to pursue what's right for them. But the problem with this approach is that it can emphasize independence rather than interdependence. We are wired for connection. Every day we wake up with a hope and desire that we will be loved, liked, and at some point appreciated or celebrated. We become our highest functioning selves when we are doing life with others. When we are in community, the sting of our failures decreases and the strength of our hopes increase. We share our joys and grieve our losses. 
Jesus had a bestie. John was the disciple who Jesus loved. So my encouragement this morning is that we fight for friendship. Misunderstandings, busyness, illness, changes in life stages can all threaten friendships. But this is something that God wants us to prioritize and fight for. And technology is great, but it is not a substitute for real life friendships. Mark 12, 28, the disciples asked him which of the commandments was most important. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with all your mind and all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Notice that they'd asked him what the greatest commandment and he didn't stop at the first. He added the second as well. Jesus is teaching them that our ability to love our neighbor is crucial to following him and living life to the full. And I know from experience when um, I've had weeks where I'm feeling a bit flat, a bit drained, I've done my little grid exercise and I just realized I wasn't seeing enough people that I liked. And that is like really valid and really important. We're all busy. We have a limited amount of time. Which friendships are we investing in? Do they bring joy? Do they bring us closer to Jesus? Do they drain or energize us? The irony is that as we spend time with people who energize us, our cup is fuller and we're able to bless others more freely. And if we want to live as Jesus did, we need to spend regular time with people who don't know Jesus. Jesus hung out with Zacchaeus. He had dinner at Levi's house. He healed and forgave people who didn't yet have faith. I love hanging out with friends outside church. I like learning from them, journeying with them, and having deep and meaningfuls. Some of you may know that I am a curly hairdresser, and one of the reasons I chose this job was because it meant I could spend time with loads of people who don't know Jesus and have really good conversations. I also love hair. It's really fun. Um, So living as Jesus did means having rhythms that were like his, and he prioritized spending time with people that didn't have faith in him. And Jesus was also deeply in community with other believers. These are people who love me and who I know see the deepest parts of me and can encourage me and pray for me. Rich Velodas, who leads New Life Life Fellowship Church in New York City, he's authored several books and said this on Instagram the other day. If Jesus spent eight hours a day, every day with his disciples, he would have spent over 8,000 hours with them. After all that time, they still had major gaps. One hour a week on Sunday will never change people. We need a life that abides in him with the support of others. Ouch. Um, Good challenge, isn't it? So something for married couples. I had a moment moment with Dan the other day where I was feeling stressed and it didn't feel like I was connecting. Poor Dan, because when I'm a bit stressed, I get a bit moody. Um, We were just, we were busy and we just needed to stop, look each other in the eye and reassess our rhythms. Once we did that, I was in a much better place. What should the rhythms be? Is it a date night once a week? Going away regularly where we take time away from children. 
or jobs or the to-do list written on our fridge. Dan and I try and go away once a year without children, but even as I say this, I'm challenged that we need to do it more. Marriage is a marathon, not a sprint, and we need to prioritise each other in small things as well as big. One thing as a community we don't talk about enough is sex. And I really enjoy talking about things that we don't often talk about. So I'm going to talk about sex. <laughs> sex is a vital part of marriage and it is something we need to fight for. Regardless of our life stage, there are lies that we believe. Everyone else is doing it more than us. No one else has problems. And just having sex with one person for the rest of your life is boring. What are the lies that we're believing? There was an interview that I did last year, I think, in the pandemic. It might be coming up. Um, yeah, with Emma Waring, who's a sex and relationship therapist. It is all about sex. Can I just tell you, it is really juicy. But I would highly recommend it. And it's a good thing to watch with your spouse so you can um, have a chat about what you think. It is juicy. Parents, what are the healthy rhythms that we can engage in as a family? Part of my faulty thinking when I was depressed was that I thought it was impossible to rest with small kids. So what was the point in even trying? But now, as I said, I'm trying to have healthier rhythms. And now we try and make sure each weekend we do something for ourselves, whether that's going for a run or meeting a friend. But I've had to learn that I don't need to ask for permission to do this. I just need to express my needs. And as a family, we have a movie night every week that's our tradition, which sounds glorious, but actually it's about half an hour of us arguing about what we're going to watch. And then we finally sit down a bit frazzled, but the kids have a great time. And if you're single, then your relational rhythms might look different. What are the needs that you have? As a church, we recently interviewed a panel of singles, marrieds, and parents about their experiences of the life stages they were in. One of the interesting points was this. Singles said they often felt dropped by friends when their friends got married. Married couples said they often felt dropped by singles when they got married because people assumed they didn't want to socialize anymore. The fact is, singles still want relationships with married couples and vice versa. And when you're single, it might be tempting to assume that marriage is the solution to loneliness, but it really isn't. Learning to cultivate the right kind of friendships and community is a skill that everyone needs to learn and grow. And what do healthy rhythms look like when you're dating? If you're online dating, how can you live as Jesus did? He was a perfect example because he was single, although I don't think Hinge was around then. How much of yourself are you willing to give away when you're dating, emotionally and physically? Can I encourage you with this? Your body is a temple and you were bought at a price, the blood of Jesus. There's a reason that sex is for marriage. And if this concept is new to you or you're not sure what healthy rhythms look like, can I encourage you to chat to your community leader or a trusted friend? Okay, so I've got an exercise for us now. On your chairs, we have the worksheet and... I'm just going to allow a bit of time for us to write any personal reflections on this. We're going to play some music and just write down what your rhythms are or what you want them to be in each of the areas and then I will come back. Completing this grid I find to be a really helpful way of doing a check-in. 
to see how I'm doing in different areas of life. And if it, it may not be helpful to you, and if it's not, feel free to park it. But if it is helpful, I encourage you to incorporate that in um, re any reflections that you do, if you do journaling. Um, yeah, I just find it's personally helped me a lot, and I hope that it helps you as well. Just going back to the passage... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they're like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. When we look at the passage, we know that Jesus wants us to do what he says. Twice it says about putting his words into practice. This is deeply practical. Our lives must be built on strong foundations. And that's partly why I've given such a practical talk today. As we continue to form healthy habits, we're setting ourselves up to produce good fruit that we've heard about. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. We're building the type of foundations that mean when the floods come, and I say when, not if, we will have dug deep enough roots and foundations to withstand it. Jesus doesn't put unhealthy restrictions on us out of just trying to be mean. He does it because he loves us. And he wants the best for us. In the New Living Translation um, of John 10.10, 10, it says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Have you ever thought about the fact that God wants to give us a rich and satisfying life? When I was unwell and in recovery, I thought that focusing on my own rhythms was introspective and selfish. There were people dying in the world and there was I thinking about how to look after myself. I thought that by looking at my own needs, I was neglecting other people. But my experience has been the opposite. As I've altered my habits and my rhythms, I've had more capacity to love, more capacity to experience joy and bless other people. I know deep in my heart that God loves me, and the same applies for you as well. He doesn't want us to burn out. He doesn't want us to be exhausted or lonely or stressed. His load is easy and his burden is light. Helen, could, would you mind coming back? So today, if you have the weight of the world on your shoulders or if you feel like you've just not got enough to give, can I encourage you as we worship to bring it to Jesus? Maybe you want to surrender your time to him again. You might know areas that need to change. And if that's the case, I just encourage you to take some practical steps towards that today. Or maybe you want to make a fresh commitment to following the ways of Jesus again. For whatever reason, maybe you've been relying on yourself over God. And as we sing, I encourage you to make that your prayer. I'm going to pray for us before we sing again. Father God, I thank you so much that you are so good to us. I thank you that you want to give us a rich and satisfying life. And Holy Spirit, I pray however we're feeling right now, I pray that we will experience your joy, 
I pray you will give us wisdom to live as you want us to live, to follow your ways wholeheartedly, to live as you did. Holy Spirit, I pray for anyone who is feeling stressed or anxious or lonely or tired. I pray that you will give them exactly what they need. Father God, we glorify you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We praise you and we worship you now. Amen.